Hey, modern explorers, you're listening to Midland in our own words, a bi-monthly podcast uncovering Midland County's history as told by you, our community and listeners. Each podcast, we'll introduce never before heard stories and tales through personal testimonials and memories passed down through generations. Subscribe to our podcast today to further discover the history of Midland County and send us a note if you have a story you'd like to share. This podcast is part of the Midland County Historical Society's Oral History Project. For more information, please visit midlandcenter.org backslash oral history. Hi everyone, my name is Ethel Floridarko and I'm here on behalf of Anti-Racist Midland, otherwise known as ARM. ARM was built in June 2020 and we look to analyze the issues that exist in preventing Midland citizens of color from experiencing Midland to its full potential. At the end of the day, we're a bunch of young people hoping to find opportunities for reform while educating the greater Midland community. Our vision is for the Midland community to develop into a vibrant community in which all individuals, regardless of race, can prosper, engage, and receive support in the community. And we also hope for Midland to be really thoughtful on how we improve the community experience for all current and future residents. Uh, my name is Sam Posnack, and the date today is January 31st, 2021. I'm interviewing John E. Chapman as part of the Anti-Racist Midland Oral History Project and the Midland County Historical Society Oral History Project. We are speaking at, well, I'm in Brooklyn, New York, and you are at your home in, where do you live? Carlton, Carlton, Michigan. I live in Carlton, okay. Um, and this interview is being conducted on Zoom. The purpose of this interview is to learn more about Midland, Michigan's racial history and to understand the ways in which race affected everyday life. The goal of this project is to create a learning platform so that our community can understand our complex past, how that informs our present, and how we can better work together in the future. Johnny Chapman, you may choose to pause or stop the interview at any time, and you may decline to answer any questions. Uh, do I have your permission to proceed with the interview? Yes. Great. Thank you. Um, so to start, I'd like to ask you bi biographical details. Also, is it okay if I call you Johnny? I, I don't know you personally, so. Yeah, that's fine. Johnny is good. Yeah, okay, great. So you live in Carleton. Um, did you ever live in Midland? Yes, um, I just sold my house in Midland just this past uh, this past fall. Um, um, I moved to Midland in 2004, so that meant roughly. Ooh, I lived in Midland for about 16, 17 years before I moved back to my childhood home in Carlton. Okay, um, and you do work in Midland now, correct? Correct. I'm a high school math teacher. Yeah. So did you, I guess, let's get a history of your like work experience in Midland. Has it only been in, in the education field? Yeah. Um, I've, I've only been um, an educator in Midland. I taught at both Dow High School and currently I teach at Midland High School. Um, I've been here roughly, I think, um, 
about 13 years. I've worked for Midland Public Schools for about 13 years. Yeah, you were a teacher when, when, I, uh, when I went there. I, I, you were around, but I, I never unfortunately had you in class. But okay, all right. I recognized you as a face around the staff. Uh, yeah. So, did you attend school in Midland or not? No, um, I, I, I attended school at, in Carleton, uh, Carleton, Michigan. Did you have children who attended school in Midland? I, I did. I have uh, three boys. I call them my three sons. Um, they graduated starting in 2012. Um, and the oldest, his name is Avery. And then the middle boy is um, Aaron. And then my youngest son graduated this past school year. And um, his name is Andrew. Great. Um, great, Andrew. I was going to ask you that later because I went to school with both Avery and Aaron and I graduated with Aaron. So, okay. um, yeah. Uh, okay. So, and have you done any sort of volunteer work or community organization work in Midland? Well, it's the church I attend in Midland, which I currently still attend, um, is right down the street from where I used to live, um, right there on Swede, it's CCC. Mm -hmm. um, so the extent of my community work was is affiliated with the church that I attend. Okay, great. So that's good biographical details. Uh, I guess let's get into the, the meat of this. Um, so what were your impressions of Midland like in the beginning? I guess you only would have Carlton to compare it to, but still, what were your impressions? Well, actually, um, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat interesting. Uh, when I graduated from high school in 85, um, I attended a historically black college in the South. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And so, um, um, I went there, graduated. I stayed a year in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I taught in the public school system there. Oh, okay. And then after that, I decided I wanted to go to Bible school in South Bend, Indiana. And so I moved to South Bend, Indiana, and I spent four years in South Bend, Indiana. Then I decided to go back to uh, Louisiana, and I taught at a, a, a small uh, private school in, in, in Baton Rouge for about five years. And then I decided to move home, and I spent maybe 11, 11 years teaching at Saginaw High School. Okay. And, then, uh, and then I got the job teaching at, at Dow High School as a math department head. Okay, so you've like, yeah, you, before you got to Midland, you were like all over then. It's right, really, right. You were very well-traveled. Um, right. So... so we and can I, well, can I ask what uh, historically black college you went to? Southern University. Okay, great. So uh, what were your impressions of Midland at the, sort of at the beginning? Yeah, then that's why I, I wanted to give you my background so that you, so I can put everything in context. Yeah, for sure. Being in Baton Rouge, working extensively in Saginaw, growing up in Carleton. Before I moved to Midland, I, I knew that Midland had a reputation of being a community that considered itself uh, um, a, a community of excellence. It, it had a reputation for being some 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 people who were were um, um, acknowledged as being very very 
uh, astute and intelligent. Um, and, and even as a African-American male who grew up, you know, a 20 minute drive away from here, it was, it was this, it was this, uh, this place that had an allure, a mysterious allure, meaning you, you know, uh, you really didn't know what was up there. You knew it was up North and there was this notion that there was some bias, but you really didn't know about it. But it was also this notion that, you know, it could be a nice place, you know? Um, and so when I first moved to Midland, I had that, that sort of background information that sort of tainted my understanding. And so then when I moved to Midland, um, I was very, very much so impressed with all of the amenities and all of the, the parks and the resources for, for, for kids. You know, there are parks, um, there's the tennis center, there's the, um, the, the skateboard park, the BMX park, there's splash parks, and there's city forests, and there's running places. And the list just goes on about all of the community resources that are available to this community. And I think that might be mostly influenced because of the Fortune 500 company of Dow Chemical and, and the tax base that's here. So, so what really impressed me about Midland was um, all of the resources that are here for the family and, and how much this is a bubble and it's really a nice place to live. So that's what impressed me the most about being in Midland. Yeah, yeah, I, I do have to agree with you there. Whenever I'm back, the parks are like the, the best part about being back in Midland. But so you said sort of like there was a feeling of like some bias, but you couldn't really tell what that was. Could you describe that sort of that notion in your head prior to moving here a little more? Yeah, I can. Um, simply because I, I, I grew up in the Carlton area, and I spent an extensive amount of time in Saginaw, there was this, 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 this rumor sort of going around or this notion going around about those people in Midland. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, was, uh, it was alluded to that there, there was bias here. And so I, I, I really didn't know how to embrace that. I didn't know what to expect from that. Um, I particularly moved here um, because I wanted my sons to to get a chance to experience the excellence in education that uh, the school system provides. You know, Midland is definitely noted for the school system and how well the, the kids are educated. And so originally, um, while I was still working in Saginaw, I made a decision to move my family here to Midland. And so back in 2004, during a summertime, we we bought a house here in Midland, the one that I just sold, and, and we lived here. So you asked me about just alluding to the, 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 the perceived bias that I had just coming here. It was just, you, you sort of get that feeling that that's up north. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and even to this day, um, you know, we talk about going up north and people look at Midland as being up north and it's that, that bias. I have a friend that I, I told her that I, worked here in Midland and she was uh, immediately impressed with me by the simple fact that I'm an African-American male working in Midland. And, and she's confided in me that, you know, I think, you know, you, you're going to have it pretty hard there. So that, 
that notion out there that Midland is a strange place in terms of dealing with racial bias is, is out there circulating among people who've been marginalized. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I, I was just saying that, that that was interesting that uh, it's viewed as up north, because I guess I don't know, coming from your context, what necessarily the connotation of up north is. Um, but you know, just growing up in Midland, I was like, this isn't north. This is like, <laughs> up north is like past the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, and I, I would like to point that out, but if, if you're African-American, yeah. yeah, the the context of being up north is definitely Midland. Um, you know, I I I was talking to a, a another friend. Her mother was 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 uh, asking me some questions, and and we were talking, and and she referred to Bay City as being as far up north is is the beginning of, of up north. Yeah. And and she also referred to the bias. You know, she said, "Yeah, there's some bias in Midland. I mean, in Bay City. But there, when you get to to uh, when you get to Midland, you're definitely in the thick of the woods when you're dealing with that kind of situation. And so, depending on your ethnicity, you know, and where you grew up, like this one lady was from Flint. Um, you know, the the that notion of bias and being up north, it definitely starts at Bay City and goes upward. Interesting. Um, thank you for that. I guess, I mean, you kind of touched on this throughout the whole thing, but I'll just ask you it for posterity's sake. How do you view Midland in relation to these other places that you live? Yeah, good question. That, that's a hard one for yeah. me to, to really... Um, characterize and the reason it's difficult to characterize is because um, every place is unique within its own self and so when you when you start to compare them it's like comparing apples and oranges you know like Midland has a fortune 500 company as in in terms of Dow Chemical Company when I worked in Baton Rouge um, Baton Rouge was was one of the Exxon Mobil was a big place in, in Baton Rouge with the oil companies and that kind of thing. But still, Baton Rouge had a different feel than what Midland has. And so just because you have a Fortune 500 company located there, that, that doesn't necessarily describe the totality of what that environment was like. Being in Baton Rouge, there was bias there, and I knew that there was bias there. I tell people, it's interesting, when I lived in in um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for probably a total of maybe nine, ten years, I lived in 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 that area. I can only think of one time ever hearing the N word. I can think of, I cannot think of any time of ever seeing the N word written. The one time I heard of the N word. It was at the small Christian white school that I was teaching at, and there were two friends. They happened to be both, uh, they were both students at the school, and they were good friends with one another. One was white and the other was black. And the white guy told the black guy, you know, you're my in. And so I was like, what? And so I went and I called them in my room, and both of them immediately started to apologize. Mr. Chapman, you, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. You, you. And, and they began to tell me, and I said, I got it, guys, I got it. 
but I need you to not go through the halls yeah. saying that. You can't do that. And they were apologetic and they, they stopped. That was my, out of my 10 years of being in, in the South, the deep South, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that was the only time I heard the N-word. Now, fast forward to when I told you I went to Bible school, I was in South Bend, Indiana. This was the weekend before I was to start Bible school. Um, I happened to have been hired to also teach mathematics at the, at the junior high and the Midland High School that was a part of this church that I went to. Mm-hmm. And um, I did not have a vehicle at that time. I had wrecked my vehicle back in Baton Rouge. And so I was walking. And so I was walking to this store to get some decoration supplies for my classroom. And I remember walking down the street and someone yelled out the word, the N-word to me. I mean, I'm just walking down the street in South Bend, Indiana. It was in, uh, that had to have been in 1990, 1991, just walking down the street. And someone just yells out the N-word at me. And I remember thinking, welcome back to the North. Wow. And so now you ask me to compare my communities. So I was at Saginaw High School. So after that experience, moved to a couple different places, eventually ended up back at Saginaw High School, taught at Saginaw High School, had a wonderful experience at Saginaw High School. I remember when I first moved my family here back in 2004, and I went into one of the local, uh, uh, one of the local uh, uh, grocery stores. And I, I, you know, you know, I, I was, went into the restroom, had to use the restroom, and I remember looking up at the stall and I remember seeing on the, on the stall wall, um, the N word etched in there. And so I remember, so I remember thinking, yep, you're, you're back, you're back here. You're back in this environment and you need to be conscious that, that your race, the color of your skin is an issue for some people. And you need to be mindful of where you are, what's going on and what's happening around you. So when you ask me to talk about my experience, how Midland compares, there are some things that are different. There are some things that are the same. But to be honest, I definitely know that in Midland, I still know that I'm a black man as opposed to just being a man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. I guess the next one is, is, is about work, the next sort of amount of questions. And I feel like that relates. So like, what were your, you know, in the classroom, I guess you don't have to answer this because obviously you are still working and you might not be able to say some things. I was going to bring this up at the end, but I have this, when, when I was thinking about starting these interviews and thinking about my own experience in Midland, I remembered that in high school, there were either rumors, it's, it's very hard for me to remember this, but there were like rumors or it had happened that like a group of kids had a two kids would like beat up gay kids in the locker rooms. And obviously that is different from what we're talking about here, but it's still sort of those incidents that occur, you know, they come from a, a similar place of, of, you know, it's a hate crime. Do you have any sort of like recollection of like comparisons to incidents like that from kids in either areas that you've worked? Do you have any sort of thoughts about that? Yeah, um, I I, I can't think of anything in terms of, um, of physical assault. 
Yeah. There, there are numerous stories in terms of the behavior of students that they've demonstrated that it's inappropriate. There are some, some, some situations in which I felt like as a school district, we could have handled things a little bit better. And I'm not speaking on behalf of Midland Public Schools. Yeah. I'm speaking as just my opinion about how some things were handled. I think it's important that, number one, we acknowledge that, that these, these things occur. And that number two, that we, we, put, a we put something in place to, to send the message to all students that that kind of behavior, be it a physical assault, or a verbal assault um, that's based on uh, sexual orientation, that's based on race, that's based on gender, will not and cannot be tolerated in any shape or form. And I think what we've done is we sort of just overlooked it and we've treated it as if some of these circumstances are, are, are just an individual making these acts as opposed to us as a district understanding how systemic it is and how institutionalized it is around us. And that in many cases, we have people who are at home, they are condoning this kind of thing. And so when, the, when, when a student comes to the school and they demonstrate that same kind of poor behavior as a school because we don't take a strong stand against it, we really become complicit in it because we're not fighting against it. We're not being anti-racist against it, or we're not being um, um, anti-homophobic against it, or we're not being um, anti-gender bias against it. And so I, I think um, as a school system, in that sense, we've been somewhat negligent to really deal with some of these issues. Um, so I guess, do you feel like a valued employee and colleague? That's a very good question. Um, so, you know, just to answer that question directly, the answer is yes. But um, as I mentioned a, a few moments ago, I, I, you got to put everything in context. And I mentioned earlier that I am a African-American male in Midland. I'm not just a male in Midland. I know that my skin color, it, it has an impact on how I'm interacted with, um, how I'm treated, and that kind of thing. And so when I, when I look at that, I have to take that experience and also apply it to my experience in Midland Public Schools. So to answer that question in a very, very truth, truthful manner, I, I do feel like I'm valued as an employee, but, I'm, but my value is depending on the context and depending on who I'm dealing with, my race does play a factor in it. That's both on the negative side and on the positive side. On the negative side, sometimes I'm, I, I have, this, I have this, this intuition, this feeling, this notion that, that there is more weight placed on me because of my ethnicity. There is this, this sense of being challenged, both in terms of, you know, you got this job and you really don't deserve this job because you only got this job because of affirmative action. And I didn't get my job because of affirmative action, you know? Yeah, people like said that to you? I, I've had, no, I've not had anyone directly say that to me. Yeah. I've had that, that feeling, that notion, that, that mm -hmm. idea that was out there that I sort of sensed that. But I do not recall anyone directly saying that to me. It's interesting because I can give you an example yeah. of, 
of, of how that takes place. Probably within the first three years that I lived here in Midland, one of my neighbors, and I'm assuming he's my neighbor because he was walking, he was walking, he was walking from the south side of Swede, north, past my house, and um, he stopped right when I was in my driveway, and he started holding a conversation with me. And his conversation became inquisitive in terms of where you work. And he automatically assumed I worked for Dow Chemical. And then I told him, no, I work for Midland Public Schools. And then he, he went on to talk and talk and, and, and talk to me. And, um, and so um, he never continued to walk north. As soon as our conversation was over, he abruptly turned and went back south, which was a notion to me he was trying to find out who I was, why was I here, yeah. and what kind of job did I have, and that kind of thing. And so as an African-American male who has lived in multiple communities, um, that exact same thing happened to me with another neighbor when I bought my house in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was heavily quizzed about, you know, um, where I worked and that kind of stuff and left with the feeling that I had to make sure I had the right job to deserve that household to live in that community. Now that was in, in, in Baton Rouge. This gentleman who questioned me, I think he was just trying to question me in terms of what my job was and what was I doing here. But once again, that, that notion of, well, you got your job because of these circumstances and therefore you can be in this community and and I'm vetting you as an individual. Yeah. Why feel the need to quiz you? It's like, exactly. so do you socialize with colleagues? I do socialize with colleagues. Because of my personality, I tend to be a loner already. And so I, I have some, some colleagues that they definitely reach out to me. They invite me to go to different places. You know, one, one guy in particular this, during the past two years, you know, we eat lunch together. So on the most part, you know, I do. I feel connected with the staff. At the same time, there are some individuals, just like in any circumstance, you, you feel like, oh, there's a little distance there. And so you wonder where that, that distance comes to play, you know, what's creating that. And it could just be personality. But for the most part, I do. I get along with, with everyone on, on staff at Midland High School. Yeah, this is an interesting question. How would you describe the, the culture of the work environment in you know, does it feel the same or different than the wider community as a whole? Mm, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting question. <laughs> it is, yeah. When we talk about the wider community as a whole, um, because I'm not involved with a lot of community organizations, I am involved with my church. That brings up a, a, an interesting notion. So culturally, when we talk about Midland Public Schools and the general openness of the staff, I would say that um, inside of Midland High School, there's a lot more, there's more, not a lot more, there's, there seems to be more openness than in the general community. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm thinking of a couple of, of incidences that I've had in the community one of which I just mentioned to you, um, and some other ones that are dealing with um, 
dealing with the police in Midland pub in, in, in Midland community, dealing with an incident that one of my sons went through with another African American family in, in the parks in Midland. And um and then the interaction that I've heard with staff. And so when when you ask me about um the what's the culture like in terms of inside of Midland Public Schools compared to the culture at large, I would say that there is more of an openness in terms of teachers having a dialogue and willing to dialogue than the community at large. The church I go to, we do have some conversations about race. As currently, I'm helping facilitate a class in which we're talking about race and how um, the the white evangelical church has been complicit in racism in this in in this country and it's a historical survey of 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 race relationships in particular how it relates to the church and so this is probably like the third or fourth class that my church has had regarding racial issues and and how do we deal with those things so i do see in the community there are groups of people who are are trying to address the issue there is some communication among staff members, but at the same time, I have to look at some of my experiences as an African American person in this community. Um, I'm thinking of one. Inc- I'm thinking of two incidences, and I'm going to just briefly describe both of them to you. Mm-hmm. The first one, the first one happened when um, my oldest boy was probably in the sixth or seventh grade, and um, we were at uh, Stratford Park. Myself and another uh, African American family, we were we were there so that the boys could begin to run and get in shape, and they were running around the pond. And there was this gentleman who allowed his dog to run free. And so the boys, as they ran around the pond, I noticed that this dog was really trying to, you know, not necessarily attack. The dog looked like he was friendly, but he was lunging at, jumping at. Um, this boy who was, you know, only in the sixth grade. Yeah. So me immediately not knowing exactly how to handle this, I jumped into my van. I had a minivan at that time. And I drove down the sidewalk along the edge of uh, the pond. And it's right where the fishing pier is. So it's on the opposite side of the beach. And I drove right down that pathway and I got between the dog and I got between um you know, my, my fellow neighbor, who's an African American in the Midland community, I got right along beside him so that he could get in the van and, um, and not be, you know, attacked, harassed by the dog. So anyway, to make a longer story short, we, um, we, we went, I drove back to the parking lot. And then we had a conversation, we, myself and the, the, the father of this this boy had a conversation with this guy who was uh, had his dog running loose, and as opposed to him being apologetic and saying I'm sorry, I, I you know I, I didn't mean for the boy to get to be harassed or to feel attacked, he started to say, Well, where are you people from? And he started to say, How long have you lived here? And he, and he said, well, if the kid wasn't running so slow behind, the dog would not have jumped on him. And it was like, what? 
I mean, this is still 2006 and you're carrying this on. And so we really could not resolve anything. Yeah. Um, took Sorry. his driver's license down. Where was the state? Again, this was, yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry, where was this again? This was at Stratford Park. Okay. Right right. Around, right, yeah. And so, so we took his driver's license down. Um, we called the Midland City Police. And um, this, this female police officer, she was so kind. She came out there. She took the information down. She said she, she, she really doesn't look forward to having this conversation. She asked, what did we want to happen out of the situation? Um, we just simply said, we want him to be conscious that you can't treat people like this. You, you, and you can't allow your dogs to run around like this. And so we didn't really push for a follow-up. Now that I think about it, I should have pushed for a follow-up. But that's one incidence that I dealt with in terms of dealing with the community and with uh, police officers that, in terms of the police officer, that was a very, very positive situation. Um, that's an example of, you know, when your color makes a difference to yeah. certain people and how you have to bear that and how important it is for other people in the community who don't have that weight for them to, number one, recognize it, acknowledge it, and actually to become an ally and to dismantle that kind of behavior so that it doesn't continue. Yeah. So, sorry, and, and you were with um, another guy who is a part of the black community, right? Right, right, right. Could you yeah, give well, me Actually, it was a black family. Okay, would they, would they like to, you know, participate in this? Maybe they already are on the list, but. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I could ask. Yeah, I would love you to. If, yeah, I would ask. I'll make a note of it. I made a note of it, and I would ask them if they would be interested. Amazing. Thank you. Um, so this is a question I thought of. How do, how do you think your students treat you in compared to other teachers? That's interesting. I really don't, from my students' perspective, I don't see it. Um, there are some, there are some incidences that have occurred that, that once again, I know I'm an African-American, um, and, and my students see me that way. But, but because of my experience, both teaching in the North and the South in public and private schools, number one, I've, I've come to learn that students are students. Kids are kids. They have their own opinions. They have their own behavior. Um, I think because I have an adult role, I think um, the vast majority of students understand that uh, I, I cannot cross that boundary. Let me give you an example of the of at the small private white school that I taught in the South. Um, I remember having a mother come to me at conference time and telling me uh, about how her husband was definitely biased, and that I may see some of that behavior come up in their son. Well, needless to say, I never had one problem out of that kid. His his attitude was always yes sir, um, yes Mr. Chapman. A couple times where I, when I have had to talk directly to him about his behavior, he was immediately responsive and was apologetic for his behavior and changed his behavior. Not I can't recall one problem I ever had out of him. Hmm. I I do recall being at one of the local high schools. Um, it was early in the morning, probably seven fifteen, seven ten in the morning. I was in my classroom. 
And I heard the N-word being said several times, yelled right down the hall, in, 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 in. I'm like, what, what is this? And so I just got up and stood outside of my door. Immediately, it stopped. The, the two or three boys that were probably three or four boys that were down the hall just stayed in the hall and was quietly uh, uh, talking at that point in time and not saying anything. White boys or black boys? These were white boys. Yeah, these were white boys. Okay. And so, um, and so when I stepped in the hall and I heard that, it immediately stopped. So I was, I was personally satisfied that it wasn't an issue. Um, looking at it in hindsight with my experience, I would definitely handle that situation differently as opposed to just ignoring it and, and making sure that they understood that they would not be bold enough to say that to my face. Um, now I realize that I really had a responsibility to help, number one, them understand how inappropriate it was, and number two, to be a, an ally for the African-American students at that school so that they would not have to deal with that and that they would have someone that they could come to and confide in and know that something would be done about that. So, yeah, yeah. so the... So I, those are I would like to push back and say it's also the responsibility of the the white teachers to to exactly you know, exactly not just the sole black person yeah. in there we really have to we have to own this together yeah and follow up question how do you like at parent teacher conferences how do you feel you're treated by the parents of the students once again I I really don't have any any real issues with that um. I, there are some occasions, there are some real interesting situations that I've experienced in my 13 years of teaching here in Midland. Um, I remember, and I can, I can call the name of this family right now. Um, I was in a parent-teacher conference. There, were, there was a mother and there was a father, and I was in there with another department head at the time. I remember this parent saying to me, you know, we are not like those people at Saginaw High School. We uh, don't need you to talk to our students and encourage our students like that. And I remember sitting in that meeting thinking, what? Yeah. And, um, and, and so it's, it's one of those things where Sometimes you'll get people who are bold enough and audacious enough to say things to your face and it's unfiltered. And, and sometimes you'll get people who will just, they'll keep it closed up, but they'll still hold that bias there. And so for me, um, sometimes I get a chance to see people in, in, in their bias and, and their prejudice and in some cases, even their racism. And in other cases, I can't see it as clear, but I do see it. I do experience it. And I just, I, I have to learn how to handle it. Yeah. I don't know, actually, if you'll be able to answer this one, but I was looking through these questions. You know, how do you think that the police officers in the schools, uh, I don't know if you like, you know, it could be the same uh, police officer working there for my time, so you might not be able to or feel comfortable saying anything. But I thought, you know, how do you feel like the police officers in the schools treat the students differently, if you've noticed anything like that? Yeah, 
I have not noticed anything like that. Um, I've heard people say things, but you know, at the same time, you, you get difficult situations. Um, sometimes we'll judge a situation based on one perspective and we don't see the totality of the situation, you know? And so that makes it difficult. And one thing that I've always tried to teach my sons is how they, they have to keep their nose clean no matter what. If there's a situation that occurs, you need to be the person that um, it cannot be said that you did anything wrong. And, and unfortunately, that's a weight that they have to bear in terms of dealing with situations. But I tell them, you keep your nose clean. And as long as you keep your nose clean, then if there is a problem, I can defend you on that. Um, and so when, 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 I'm, when I've heard of incidences in which there was a, an issue with um, a police officer, an SRO officer, you know, the, the situation was, was so murky that you couldn't really tell, was this a real issue of, of racial bias or was this an issue that they should have handled a little bit differently? And because someone did do something that was inappropriate, it, it, that becomes really difficult. But um, in terms of my experiences, I've not seen anything in terms of the police officers inside of Midland Public Schools demonstrating racial behavior that was inappropriate. Cool. Um, what was it like to raise, raise all three kids in Midland? Very, very good question. Because I have to be aware that there are people out there that will automatically look at skin color and come to conclusions that are faulty. I've always had to teach my sons that they have to become conscious of that. And they, they can't just say that, okay, race doesn't exist and prejudice doesn't exist and life is gonna be okay with me. Um, you have to become conscious that there are people out there who will, will do things to you just because of your race, and then you will be blamed for, for, for their poor behavior. A couple examples related to that. You know, I, I bought my son's airsoft guns when they came out. They love to shoot these little plastic BB guns. And it was fun, you know, they oh, would yeah. shoot them in the house, they would shoot one another and that kind of thing. But immediately I told them, you, and I was very specific, you, cannot take these outside of our property. You cannot go to the park you, with them. You cannot go to a friend's house with them. I do not want you taking these anywhere away from this household, simply because you're an African-American male and that notion out there that you have this BB gun, which could be misconstrued as a gun, and people are already looking at you strangely it could lead to something really, really dangerous. It was even while we were living in Midland when my sons were young that, you know, there was a 12-year-old boy that was shot by a police officer. I, it's, I think it was somewhere in Ohio. And um, someone said that he had a gun and he had just a little airsoft gun or a little BB gun or something, but he ended up dead. And so by me being an African-American in Midland raising boys, that was one of the things that I was definitely conscious of, that you have to make sure that you account for other people's racism. And, and, and it's unfortunate, but 
you have to be mindful of that because if you're not mindful of that, you could end up dead. Like, and, and somebody could say, well, I was just fearful. And so that was one, that was one example. The other example was without saying this, I'm just going to say one of my three boys, just one of them, one of my three boys was getting a lot of attention as a sixth grader um, at one of the junior high schools. And so girls would come up to him and they would say he was so cute and they would hug on him and that kind of thing. And so I had to tell my son at, at, as a sixth grader, I had to tell them, I do not want those girls hugging on you. And the reason I had to tell them that is because as an African-American male, yeah, you're cute right now as a sixth grader, but when you get to be in high school, and people begin to look at their daughters as going to eventually be married to someone and their bias comes into play and they do not want an African-American in their family, but they don't wanna tell anyone that they are harboring that kind of bias, um, then all of a sudden you're no longer cute. And then all of a sudden you could be put in a situation where, where your color is used against you and you're blamed for something that you did not do, but because the law is structured the way it is and because of the way people have prejudice in their brain, you could be in a bad situation. And so I've had to tell my boys, I've had to tell them about, there was a gentleman, uh, I call him a gentleman, he was a boy at the time, he was 18 years of age and, and she was 17 years of age in Georgia. And her father was a police officer and the bottom line is this boy ended up getting arrested and he went to jail and stayed in jail for a considerable amount of time and was given a record of, of being um, a sexual predator. And just because the two of them had mutual sex together, but because he was 18 and she was 17. It was considered statutory rape. She could not be a consenting person to that. And he ended up going to jail, losing a football scholarship. And so I've had to teach my boys that it's that kind of prejudice out there. And so you have to be mindful of it and you have to become conscious of it so that you don't get caught up in that situation. And so that's what it was like for me to raise boys inside of yeah. The Midland community. You feel like uh, your your children were included as as a whole. That's one of the questions. Yeah, as a whole, I do. I felt like um, the boys were included. You know, like I said, there are always some specific things that occurred, but for the most part, my boys feel like this was a good place for them, and they got a, a very very well rounded education. But they they are also aware of how their skin color is is viewed negatively by some people. They don't have a inferiority complex because of it. They just know that there are some people that have issues because of their skin color. Did school curriculum or lessons ever make you or your child feel uncomfortable or like the information was incomplete? And I feel like you have you know you've seen the school curriculum for so many years. So I think that's a it's an interesting question for you. Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, the answer is yes. And the answer is, is yes, because um, 
the school curriculum is normally coming from a white perspective. So you, you need authors um, of, from, from different ethnicities and nationalities, not just what um, westernized white Americans think. It really needs to, to come from a variety of perspectives. So in that sense, the curriculum does lack. But the truth be told, it lacks across this country. You know, we tend to tell history from, you know, the, the white Protestant perspective. And I, I think over the years, we're getting better with it. We're not as good as what we should be, but we're getting better with it. So, um, so that's my answer to that question. Um, it does lack. It lacks because our society lacks in it, and we need to show more improvement, although we have shown some improvement. Are there any events that you have lived through here in Midland that you think are like important for others to know about or remember? Yeah, um, there is an event that happened with my with one of my sons. Um, son was, you know, uh, on the wrestling team. You know, he he felt like he was well liked and um, appreciate it. But um, one of his fellow classmates made a, a video of him um, and his girlfriend. And what concerned me the most about this video is that it was written, it was made, and it looked as if it came from a 1930s, 1920s newspaper. And the caption in this video said, the N-word dates interracially. And so my son's girlfriend um, is white. Was this, and, the, the, sorry, was this the incident that happened recently? Or in, in I know there is, has been an incident with a video like this past year in, in the school. Um, it, I just don't know if it's different or not. Is it? Is it yeah. Yeah, this this was about two years ago. So this is a video from two years ago with my son. It could be what I'm thinking of, but yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so what concerns me the most about that video is how an African-American student and even an adult, you can walk around people and they have these feelings. And some, some have even described it to say it was just a joke. And so when you look at this video from all of those perspectives, um, number one, that I could be a person that I feel like I'm well-liked and I'm embraced in this community, but you, as a white person, can produce this kind of video and circulate it among your what you call your friends about me and so your, your chameleon attitude to hide your prejudice, to hide your racism, or to hide your bias, whatever you want to consider it, and you would still smile at me and, and say, I'm, a, I'm your buddy, or I'm, yeah. we're, 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 that, that kind of betrayal, that kind of, uh, that kind of blindsidedness and not knowing who you can trust and who is really... Um, on your side or who really values you, that's a pretty scary thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
I consider myself a comedian. I do comedy in New York. And so I grew up in the jokes of Midland, of Midland public schools. And that kind of, you know, oh, it's just a joke is, it really, that like, uh, grinds my gears. Cause it's not a joke. It's, it's, it's just a show of power. That's all it is. Exactly. Um, and yeah, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please continue. No, I'm, I'm glad you said it because um, what we do need in Midland is we need more people like you to stand up and say, number one, it's not a joke. And number two, we need people like you to begin to actually become anti-racist against it, to really, come, to really come against that. I think what happens is in our society, if you're white, you simply say, um, well, I'm not like that. And, and it's not enough to say I'm not like that. You got to go one step further now and say, I'm not going to tolerate that in my community and with my children and in my school. And I think that's the next step that we have to take. And I think that's the step that even Midland Public Schools has not taken. Midland Public Schools has not taken an active role to say, this will not be tolerated. And these are some things that we're gonna do to make sure it doesn't happen again. And if it does happen, these are gonna be the direct consequences to that. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's what we need in society. And it's, it's not just Midland Public Schools, it's Midland community at large needs to embrace that attitude. Yeah, um, that was a good lead into this question. Do you feel comfortable discussing race with your Midland friends or neighbors? Um, at this point in time, I do. Um, I, used to, I used to not feel comfortable with it just simply because I was afraid of confrontation. But um, I, at this point in time, I think I've heard all of the arguments about it's a joke, you're never gonna change this. And, and so I've heard all of those arguments and it still boils down to, we have a responsibility as citizens to make sure all of us are created um, equally in this democracy. And at this point in time, we have not owned up to that responsibility. We have not said we are all Americans and we're gonna make sure all Americans are treated in a certain way. We still embrace this idea that you're American, but I'm gonna make an excuse to, so that you don't get these opportunities. Um, everything from redlining, um, in terms of the housing, everything from, from creating residential boundaries where people can or cannot live, which deals with redlining. But we also see that with, with immigration policy, that we are calling people illegal when they were admitted into this country and they're waiting on a trial to, to give them st the status that they need. But rather than call them undocumented at this point in time because they're waiting on a court hearing, we define them as illegal. And then we, we treat them with one set of rules while we treat other people with another set of rules. And I think, I think we have to get to the point where we begin to address that kind of bigotry and bias in this country. Yeah. Um, okay, so do you think that Midland's stance on race or overall culture has evolved and in what ways? And my thought when reading this question was to ask you maybe if you could like compare and contrast life under Obama versus life under Trump, like in the schools, in terms of what the children were thinking and what the children were saying. Wow, good question. Good question. 
to say that we have evolved, I would say no. And, and, um, and we have gotten to the point where we're talking about it. So under the uh, Obama administration, we weren't talking about it. Um, and under the Trump administration, there's this recognition that something is wrong because you have you have all of this tension. You 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 have you know you, you have the storming on the state capitol, and 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 you have all of these other issues of racism that comes up. That's not just black and white, but it's you know having a Muslim ban. You know you you you've defined a whole religion and said this religion cannot come into into this country, um, um, to to trying to 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 label a pandemic disease after a an ethnic group or a racial group, um, so so in one sense we are talking about race because it's all of a sudden in our face, like it was with Jim Crow era behavior. It's in our face. What what I don't see us doing is. And this is where we we are not we're not handling the situation and where we've evolved is we're not talking directly about the issue. We we are we are simply stepping back and saying, well, this is a bad situation, and we're not trying to come up with an action plan to stop it from occurring again. At the same time, we have some some students that will actually go around and wave a Trump flag with the notion of this is my right, this is my freedom of speech, when actually that flag was waved two weeks ago on a group of people who were storming um, the state capitol and, and vandalizing it and taking over it, and they felt like they had a right to do that. And so we have students that feel like I have a right to say what I want to say or do what I want to say. And that that's that's being condoned as free speech. And, can and really, ask, can I ask what when when they say I have a right to say what I say, what are they saying? Yeah, good point. Yeah, exactly. What point are you saying? Are you trying to say we want to make America white again? Or are you trying to say you want to make America um, a place for everyone? to have equal access to the pursuit of life, liberty, and, and, and happiness. Um, you know, are you saying that we want things to be just like they were during the Jim Crow area and, and we want separate but equal facilities? What exactly are you asking for? And be very, very specific. And that notion is not being made clear. Why do you think that the black population of Midland hasn't grown since the 70s? Very good question. Um, I, I thought about this. I thought about this, and and I have a twofold answer to this. I think um, racism is a part of the fabric of this country, and including inside of the Midland community. And I think, for the most part, we look at individual acts of bigotry. And we, we will condemn those acts. I think what we have not done as a community is we have not acknowledged our own bigotry. Meaning 
um, you may not have an act of bigotry, but when you look at someone who is African-American or you look at someone who is Asian or someone who is of Hispanic descent and you have this notion that you are better than they are because of, for whatever reason, you know, they're not this or they do this or we are like this as white people. That is an act of bigotry that that um, people have to really come to grips with. Just like an alcoholic has to acknowledge that I am an alcoholic, if, if, if you have any kind of this bias in you, you have to identify. You cannot excuse yourself and say, well, I'm not like that person. I'm not as, quite as bad as that person. No, you have to look at your own bias and you have to confront your own bias. And I think one reason Midland has not grown in terms of the race, race, in, in terms of becoming a more culturally diverse place is because we have a lot of white people that have not really done the work to identify their own bias and to come to grips with it and to begin to seek, how do they not begin to demonstrate that bias? Because it comes out, you know, as a black person, you may not be able to put your hand on it, but you, you feel that distance there when that bias is there. So that's the first thing. You, you got to get people to start to acknowledge that, okay, I do have this bias. The other thing that I think that's hindering this place from becoming a more culturally diverse place is this idea of we really don't value multiculturalism or diversity the way we should. We look at a Black person as being, okay, this is someone who has darker skin than me. So because they have darker skin than me and I'm allowing them to be around me, now we're okay. I think we really got to get to the point where we see the value of people, where you see the value of, okay, Johnny Chapman is an African-American, but I value him in terms of what he has to say and how he interacts with me. And I really appreciate him. And so I think that's two different things meaning we got to identify our own bias, but then we have to grow into that where we begin to see and value different people from what they can contribute. And that's just not black and white. That's, that's dealing with Hispanic people, Asian people, um, gender people, people of different gender. That's dealing with the LGBTQ community. You got to see the value in people and, and extract that value out of them. So those are the two reasons why I think um, the Midland community is not growing more in its diversity, and it's because you got to look inward at your own bias, and then you got to value what other people can contribute. Yeah. Um, so, given the national conversation about policing and police brutality, do you think that Midland feels like a part of the national picture or different, and how so? I think Midland would, would say it's different, but I have some very, very specific experiences that I've gone through that puts Midland in that same category. Um, yeah, maybe, I mean, it's sort of a bummer to end on, I suppose, but let's, I guess we can, we can end on those experiences if you'd like to share them. Yeah, I can share. I, I'm going to share two of them. Okay. During my first, um, during the first year and a half that I've lived here, that I moved to Midland, first year and a half, I was, and this is my first year now, mm -hmm. I was pulled over three times. 
I was pulled over by the Freeland Township Police Department. It was a Friday night. I was moving some stuff in my red pickup truck to my home in Midland. I was driving down, I was driving to Midland. And when I got just beyond Tibidawasi on my way to Midland, I passed this blazer. And this police officer followed me almost till I got to Main Street in Freeland. So they followed me that long and then finally pulled me over. Asked me, what was I doing? Where was I going? Where did I live? Have I been drinking? They had the lights on me. I, I, I got my information out of my glove compartment box. I shared my information with the, the police officer. And, and she was surprised that I had it all right then and there. And um, she let me go. That was just a Friday night, just a black man driving through Freeland on his way home to Midland. I had another situation during the same year and a half. I was leaving Bay City and I was coming from Bay City into Midland, um, traveling on traveling out of Midland Road from Bay City into, into Midland. And um, this was just before I got to Auburn. And two police, there were two police officers in one vehicle and pulled me over, seemed to be really, really young guys, pulled me over in my pickup truck. I asked, why was I being pulled over? And he said, you were swerving in the lane. And I was saying, I, I, I didn't go outside the lane. And he said, yeah, you were swerving inside the lane. And I said, if he gets close to the line one more time, I'm going to pull him over. And so he pulled me over, looked up all of my information, let me go. So this was the second time oh, I was just inside the lane. Yep. I was in the I lane. I can understand that. What does that mean? Exactly. The lane. Yeah. 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 I was in the lane. I didn't swerve outside it. I was in the lane. And so, so that was, I was pulled over. So that was Bay City. That was Freeland. And the next incident happened. Um, um, once again, I'm in my van. This particular time, I had my whole family in my van. There was a funeral that we were going to in Saginaw. So it was about 11 o'clock in the day. I turn off the Swede and I take um, a left-hand turn onto Patrick going, going east. So I'm going towards Dow Chemical headquarters and I get all the way down almost until I get to um, Waldo. And at that point in time, just when I got before the woods, that's when this gentleman turns on his his lights he had an unmarked it was a brownish car an unmarked car and he pulls me over and asks me do i know how fast i was going and and that kind of thing and i told him i had just turned off a suite because i live on suite he asked me if it was my van asked me how fast i was going asked me where i was going asked me all of those questions I told him I, I wasn't speeding because I had just turned off a Swede and I was coming down here. And once again, no ticket. Just let me go after 
all of those questions, you know, is this your van? Do you, how fast are you going? Do you know how fast you were going? And all of that kind of stuff. So that was three times in that first year that I was pulled over. Now, honestly, I was pulled over one more time after that by a Midland police officer, but I was guilty of speeding at that particular point in time. <laughs> I was speeding. But th those are three examples that I went through in terms of dealing with police in this area during the first three years, during the first year and a half. Now, admittedly, outside of then, I have not been, uh, there was one other time I was pulled over. Yep. I was pulled over about a year and a half ago. But outside of that, I was not pulled over. But that was in the, f that was in the first year and a half. And so that was my shocker that, you know, I'm being pulled over and I was not given a ticket in, yeah. in those two cases. I did get a ticket for the one that I was speeding in because I was mm -hmm. guilty of that. But um, so that was that particular incident. Now, um, I have another situation that occurred um, when my oldest boy was a freshman in college. He had this, he has a childhood friend. And um, his childhood friend came over to the house. And um, at that particular point in time, um, you know, I didn't have any vehicles in my driveway. So I pulled in my driveway and I recognized a couple things. Number one, I, I recognized a Midland police officer vehicle right outside of the, the light that was in front of my home. And um, that was curious to me because I've never, in all of my years of being in Midland, never had them camp out at that particular light. There was a time that they were camping out down the street because someone was doing some bath drugs. And so we knew what was going on with that situation. But in front of my house, and there was no drama happening at my house, and they're, they're, they were there for you know 20 minutes or so, that was bizarre to me. And so, so as soon as I saw the vehicle stopped, I pulled into my driveway and I, I noticed that there was a vehicle in my driveway I did not recognize. I was like, what is this? And so I go in the house, immediately I see um, my, my, my son's childhood friend and we start talking. So immediately I start to ask him, I said, what were you doing? Because there's a police car out there and that never happens. And he said, nothing, Mr. Johnny. Um, I, I just drove by and um, I saw him and I just pulled in the driveway and nothing happened. I said, very good, Jalen. Make sure you, you keep your nose clean because you are in Midland and you just don't know what's going to happen. And so, um, so anyway, my son and his friend, they went off and did whatever they did. Um, sometime later on TV 12 News, you know, I heard this this thing that somebody did this and somebody did this, and then and then it was mentioned that first name that I just said to you, and I was like, "What?" And then I had followed up with the student and and uh, Jalen and 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 what was going on with this Jalen? He said, "I don't know it that, you know, I don't know anything about it." And so I thought that was really curious what was going on in that situation. Um, especially in terms of the news media and how people portray things that are not uh, necessarily a truthful situation. So um, th those have been two experiences in terms of my own personal experience dealing with so, police officers. I guess I'm and a then, little confused at what exactly, what was being reported? What did, what, what did they say on the TV? On yeah, what was it? 
what was said was on the TV was that someone had committed some sort of crime and that we don't know anything about this crime that, that who did it. But the only thing we do know is that the student went to this school and that this was their first name. Oh. That was the only thing that was reported. And I thought it was strange that, well, if, if you don't know anything, why Wait, would you report that? It is? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Say what crime it was? Yeah, it was it was some crime of burger. Okay, okay. Burger. Yeah, that, that was it. Someone had robbed a convenience store. And okay, gotcha. the only thing we know is that the student went to this school and this was their first name. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was that was curious to me um, because there were no details to it. Secondly, I followed up afterwards to find out if 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 my son's childhood friend had yeah. gotten in any trouble. And the answer was no, he did not get any trouble. He did not do anything. He was not around there. And so that just made it curious to me in terms of um, someone using the news media to put information out there just to, to, to create fear or to create That's distance. Really That's really, you know, um, who, I mean, how many kids were named Jalen? My point exactly he is a common <laughs> name in the district. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So that gets back to addressing what what you had brought up to me in terms of policing in this country and is Midland different from other places. You know, I, I think in Midland we would say yes, we are different. But there are some experiences that African Americans have had in this community that really makes it um, complicit in the same kind of behavior that we've seen in other places. And there are some other stories I can tell, some longtime residents, and um, I would be happy to share their information with you also and so they can interview you. But even back in the 70s, there was some concerns about how um, employees from Dow Chemical Company were being treated when they were African-American as opposed to if they were uh, white yeah and so i can sh i can share that information i would love with you any any other sources you have like phone numbers i would, I would like to um yeah thank you again for for this this has been this is a great interview so thank you very much um i'll let you go but yeah thanks again all right you're unless more than welcome you have, unless you have anything else to you know finish up with no, we can chat later and I can, I can begin to uh, reach out to these other people and, and let them know that you're doing these kind of interviews. And I think it would be, I think it's beneficial um, that people see and hear the other side so that we can reflect properly and say, okay, these are some things that need to be adjusted. I agree. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have yeah. a good day. You too. All right. Bye.